Live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Henry Clillian from Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash TGF Friday edition alongside Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN at Brody 81 on Twitter at Josh Henning on Twitter 97.3 ESPN. We'll be back to more of your messages and comments at 609-403-0973. Again, the big news that popped off before we came on the air. AP's Rob Motti reporting. And as our team official told him about reports that the Eagles' best offer for Wentz was two second-round picks plus a potential third or fourth. Quote, we made a better offer. We don't know what better means, but he claims it's a better offer. Very subjective. It is very subjective. Your better offer may not be better than my better offer. Exactly. My best offer might be better than your best offer, but your best offer may be what more what the Eagles are looking for. Do you think it's possible it happens over the weekend? Or do you think this type of move is a... I don't know. Are the Eagles strategically planning this no. to happen on a no. weekend? I, I think they're just letting it play out. I do. I think if they were worried about time frame, they would have done this already. Why not? This is the per- why though. This is the perfect time. A nice news dump at Friday, five o'clock. But this isn't a news dump. This is Carson Wentz. They might think of it differently though. Imagine this dropping Monday compared to a Friday or a Saturday. It's not the same reaction because people have time to kind of let it digest. And then Monday, while obviously it's going to be a hot conversation, there's a level of it already kind of settled into people to a degree. Listen, the reason why I don't think they care is because I remember when the Sam Bradford news dropped. I was here working at 97.3 ESPN. I was actually working Billy Schwime's show back in 2016. And I had to show Billy that the Sam Bradford news broke. <laughs> and I was like, Billy, look. And he's like, what? Yeah, it's not in the newspaper, Josh. You, you know, it was it was the middle of the morning. It was like 10, 50 Here's in the, the morning. Here's the difference, though. That was a move that was... Like, no one would have been mad. No one was upset. You got Carson Wentz to now play. This is such a different spot. Like, that Sam Bradford move, everyone was, like, now excited after the move because not only did you get the first, but now you're getting to see Carson Wentz play. This move is we're dumping the franchise quarterback that has a $34 million cap hit out the window for compensation that isn't really the value that you went up and got him at. So, you know what I mean, though? It's like one was a positive towards Howie and the organization. The other is a downfall of where they are. It's a it's a it's a black cloud, if you will, that's over top of the franchise. So it's got a different perspective on it. I think they're worried. They are worried about how they are perceived. So yeah, I don't know if I hundred percent agree with that for this reason. They're so tone deaf on certain things. You know what I mean? Like they are so oblivious to optics. Sometimes there are things that Doug Peterson and Howie and Jeffrey Laurie have said over just the last year, that you're looking around like, did they really just say that? See, I I don't think they're oblivious. I just think it constantly keeps happening. They're aware that it's happening. I just think they lost control on how to not make it happen. Because they know the story. They bad PR people. And and you know, I don't think that the PR people, the Eagles are stupid. I just think that Howie, Jeffrey, Doug, and Phil and, and Nick Sirianni and everybody else and whoever else you want to lump into this conversation, I just don't think they care as much as we think they do. Oh, they care. You know, they care about being liked. Yes, they do. They, they don't do care, care as much them. about the full perception of them, though. 
Because if they did, they would say things differently. They would handle things differently. I think they tried like, to. If Jeffrey Lurie really cared that much, he would have taken questions to Sirianni Presser. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with... Instead, he was just like, I'm getting out of here. I'm not dealing with this. Sirianni, good luck. Well, no, they. I think he did that to take a bullet for his coach. Because they were looking at, well, the press conference was X amount of time. When they just look at it from that standpoint. Also, also if... Cutting Sirianni off, pretty much. Right, but also, the, Howie would have been there. Where was Howie? If Howie cares what people think about him as much as we're inferring... Well, you don't change that in a presser. At this point, that's more about like, the only gotta, thing that every, changes perception is the moves. Be out in front. Like one of the reasons why there was a segment of people who hated Sam Hinkie wasn't because they really hated Sam Hinkie. They hated the fact that they perceived that he was aloof and he didn't want to take questions and he wouldn't deal with the media, which it came out to be that he didn't think it was important, but he realized later that maybe the situation would be better if he would have handled the media a little bit differently. But the fact that there he was, you know, absent without leave. They left Brett Brown taking all the questions, the bullets all the time. And Hickey was, quote, unquote, too busy with the process. That creates a perception problem. If Howie was more visible and more out front, I think he could help the perception of him a little bit. I don't think so. I think it's more about what he does, not so much what he says. So for me, well, I obviously during the Sam Hinkie era and Brett Brown being thrown under the bus to have to answer certain questions, that's obviously not a great look and they should have handled that differently. But for Howie, I think Howie's so deep in that we're at a different discussion for him specifically based on the difference in the two parties here. And with him, he won't be able to say a damn thing that convinces anybody anything. At this point, it's show me, do something, draft the right guy put together this team again like you did in 2017. I think for him, it's really all actions. While it can't hurt to say certain things, for me at least, I feel that Howie Roseman, it's not so much about what he says at this point. It's just action. Do it. Go do it. Go execute. Connor Spencer watching the show on YouTube says, Howie gets another two seasons at least. Now that's interesting because you were asking does a win record define it? Well, Connor is saying he gets to two seasons no matter what it seems like. If it's a one or two win season, three win season, I, I think it's possible. Look, this is the same organization that fires people who makes the playoffs. Right. Doug Peterson made the playoffs three out of four years, won a Super Bowl, and bang, you're you're gone. You're out of here. So I just think the I think the ground rules are different for Howie because of his relationship with Jeff. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. And I think Connor makes an interesting point. What if the Eagles don't get back to the playoffs for two years? Maybe you agree, okay, they punt on the one year. But what if it's two years? Then you got to look at Howie and be like, bro, come on. Definitely. Even if even right, if you are Jeffrey Lord. Yeah, public enemy number one is Howie. And, and I just feel I don't want my owner feeling the fan base at times because you want to make your own logical decisions. But I do think that there would be pressure if two years from now we are out of the playoffs next year and out of the playoffs the year after that. With this whole Nick Sirianni hire, which at that point you're saying two years of Nick Sirianni, you're not in the playoffs. You might feel that pressure to, to make that move. And at, at some point, I always hate to see. I always hate to go against the bang on the the uh, the table people. I know you the thing. They say it for 25 years, so they're wrong for 24. But then there's that one year where they are right that you have to admit, like, ah, well, when you say it enough, you're eventually going to be right. Well, it's, but, it's like when you and Gil talked the other day, and I'm not trying to rehash No, that's fine. I think the next but, day after, we have enough time to digest and approach it differently really after quick, the, the fire. Like, when, when we talked about the different teams in the NFC, the Giants got to the Super Bowl three times over 21 years. But the outside of those three seasons, 
They were a mediocre to poor football team. Whereas the Eagles, over the same stretch, went to two Super Bowls, won one, lost one, and were mostly a winning football team. Do we look at the Eagles and Giants any differently because of that? I don't know if we do, because to me, the problems with both franchises still exist, right? Like, and then this is where I kind of fell between you and Gil with the conversation the other day. To me, I'm not going to say the Giants are a better or worse team just because of their track record. And to me, it's the same with the Eagles. When you bring up track record, we can discuss track record. But to me, I'm not going to sit here and act like Harry Roseman is any better or worse than I already think he is because I know what his track record is. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's fine. I I, I absolutely respect that side of the thing. And uh, to a degree, I almost think that I could use that side to benefit some of my points. But at the same time, I think that can also benefit some of Gil's thoughts as well. I think it's, a like you said, it's kind of right in the middle. I, I do understand. It's like, I, I can relate that to the Sixers almost. Last night, people were like, oh, they need more. Well, that, that game last night, you should have known that you needed more. I already knew what I needed to know right. about this team prior. You, you didn't need last night to, to tell, tell me you. that. Exactly. And that's how and you feel about Howie. the same thing with Howie. If for me, at least. I'm not speaking for you. I'm saying for me specifically, Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gell here on 97.3 ESPN on the Sports Bash on a TGIF Friday. I know what Howie is. I know that there's really almost no one better than him as well. There's maybe a handful of GMs who are legitimately Well, that's not necessarily true. Because at some point, Howie Roseman wasn't nobody that walked on as this guy. Like, you can, just because we might not know who they are, that's on Lori now to find that next guy who are available. But hear me out for a second. Okay, the Bucs won the Super Bowl. Jason Light was here in the Eagles well, organization. Tom Brady. That's but, such a big factor. Yeah, I, I he, think had, that's the but he had to sell Brady on it. I don't think Brady would woke up one day and be like, I don't you like that. Be a great team. I don't like the that Bucks. example. I don't like that example. Okay, fine. Brett Veach with the Chiefs. Is that Veach or is that Reed? Well, that's why I like that you brought that up. That's why I struggle with the track record of Howie because 20 years, we talked about this 20 year window. Andy Reid was such a big chunk of that. Right. So, to me, you got to take out 10 years. Yeah, I agree. To me, well, first of all, that's Andy Reid. Which still so Banner. Yeah, fair. It was Banner and Reid from about 99 to 2010, right? Yeah. And then it was like it was 2010, 2011, the falling out between Banner and Lori happened. And then Howie gets semi-promoted. And then there was a year or two where Reid had those rough drafts. And he makes Luis Castillo the defensive coordinator. And we have the dream team. And then they said, we're going to Howie's draft board. And then they draft Fletcher Cox. But then they get rid of Andy. And then they say, Howie, you got to handle the draft. But then Chip says, I don't like Howie. Then we got to take out two more years out of the resume. Because Chip's out there drafting Nelson Aguilar and Marcus Smith. My favorite. And uh, Joe Walker from Oregon. Remember that? So, like... You have all these guys that ship guys that ship Kelly people. We're going to get rid of Deshaun Jackson because I don't like him. And we're going to trade LaShawn McCoy because I don't like him. That wasn't Howie. That was Chip being an egomaniac freakazoid. So then Howie is brought, as Jason Kelsey said, brought back from the closet down the hall. Right? And then he's the one who went up and got Carson Wentz. He's the one who drafted Big V and Sayamalu. And he's the one who went out there and acquired Alshon Jeffrey and LeGarrette Blunt and Chris Long. So on one hand, Howie does some good things. 
So he's not all good. He's not all bad. But the problem is, is that I can say that about all these teams. I just mentioned it earlier. The, the Patriots made a horrible pick in the second round. The guy did nothing. Am I going to sit here and be like, Bill Belichick's a bum? No. No, but I think we're going to see. I, I brought this up uh, before, like with Bruce Arians, right? If Bruce Arians wins a Super Bowl next year, hypothetically, with Tom Brady, whether this is right or wrong, maybe I'm the outlier, but I'm going to start looking at Bill Belichick and go, huh, hold on a second. Oh, sure you Hold are. on a second. You know what I mean? Now Bruce Arians goes from a respected coach to a two-time Super Bowl champion, and that insanely builds your resume to something different, right? right like, I mean, there's, insanely. there's a ton of guys who have one ring. There's a much smaller group that have two rings. Right, so with Belichick, now, like, all these draft picks, oh, he's a genius. How much of those draft picks was just Tom Brady working with? Because it's Tom Brady. Right. So does my perception change on Bill Belichick right. in this draft? he come down a notch? For sure. And by the way, the flip side happens with Howie Roseman. What if the Eagles with Sirianni make another Super Bowl run? Maybe they don't win it. But what if they get back to another Super Bowl with Jalen Hurts and Sirianni and Roseman? That also changes your perception of Howie. Definitely. But on the flip side, you know what also changes your perception? If they go to the playoffs for the next 10 years, they don't get the Super Bowl. Right. That it, it, so all these things, as you said, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm so curious how this Howie thing is. I think the seat is hotter than it's ever been. I know we keep talking about him being like an untouchable guy, but I always date back to we said the same thing about Banner. And eventually it was just time. And I do feel we are starting to hit that territory, whether it's one year, two years. We are starting to hit that territory of how he better show it to Jeffrey Lurie, not to the fan base, whatever, to Jeffrey Lurie. He better show that he has a grasp on this thing, or, or I really do think how he's going to be gone in a two-year span or so. If it gets ugly, I mean, if it continues down this path, I can see it. Right, because at the end of the day, the fan perception of Howie is not 100% reality. True. Because the fans are not in the meetings with Howie and Jeffrey Lurie. We don't know how much of what we think is, is Howie might be Lurie and how much of Lurie might be Howie and so on and so forth. There's a lot of overlap and minutia and gray area that we just don't know about. That's why I want the 30 for 30 on the Eagles. I don't care about the process. I need to know the tell-all book of Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, and the rise and fall of Philadelphia Eagles. I'm right there with you. You don't have to preach to the choir. I can't <laughs> believe all those, those people out there are choosing the Sixers over this. Uh, this is what you need to know. You want to get behind the scenes, a sit-down. How about like a no, not, not like a Tom Rinaldi. That's too sad. And I'm thinking of golf or something where they like show the B-roll of the golf course and then a soft-spoken voice. I don't want something like that. I want someone to drill him. Kill me. Almost like you, I don't want to get this harsh, but you put a, a rag over his face and then you pour water on it and, you, and then you rip it off. Sort of like what you do with, you know, bad people out there. You mean there. waterboarding? Yeah, exactly. You just rip it off. Tell me, Howie, what did you do? Rip, rip the... The rag off of well, his mouth. So, so you want it to be so uh, the guy who's done um hard knocks the last couple of years is um the guy from Ray Donovan, Liv Schreiber. You want Liv Schreiber. Give me that as as your commentator. Give me that. A, a little gruffness, but a little ability to have the balance back and forth and telling the story. Yeah, maybe even worse. A little more intense. You want even more intense. Yeah, a little more intense, a little more aggressive. I, don't, I mean, who else is there? I mean, I, I'm trying to think of guys who do narration. Well, right? no, I think we got to think outside the box. Someone who's never done it. Maybe like FBI, like people behind, like we got to get serious with Sal this. Sal Palantonio? 
Hmm. Is he too involved though? He's too involved and he connected. He went someone completely uninvolved. Oh yeah, I went someone uninvolved. in the room. Yes, and making this serious as if you're under investigation. That's what we're doing here. None of this like, hey, Howie, tell us what happened. No, no, no. This is, you know, you walk around him a couple of times. You stare at him without saying a few words. You got to make this guy feel uncomfortable so he gives you the details. This is what I'm talking about. None of this nonsense like, hey, let's respect this. No, no, no. There's no respect in this document. Maybe I should do it, Josh. Maybe I should do this. Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESBME brought to you by Matt Blatt Nissan. The all-new Matt Blatt Nissan is now open at Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township next to Home Depot. Visit them online at mattblacknissan.com. We're going to change it up a little bit next. Inside the Sixers with Paul Hudrick. The Sixers did lose the game last night with a horrible inbounds play. Sixers game three of their road trip tomorrow afternoon. You can hear all the action right here on 97.3 ES. Don't, don't, don't go anywhere. We will get back to the Eagles talk. We got tons of comments to get to on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and at 609-403-0973 on the text board. Along with Hunter Birdie, I am Josh Hennig, filling for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bachelor TGIF Friday on 97.3 ESPN. Along with Hunter Brody, at Broads81 on Twitter, at Josh Hennig on Twitter. Joining us right now on the Boardwalk Kind of Hot Live and live virtually, Paul Hudrick, our Sixers insider, joins us right now on 97.3 ESPN and live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Paul, how you doing on this Friday? I'm doing well, Josh. How are you, man? Doing pretty good. So, uh, first of all, we got to get to, before we get to anything else, and you talked about this a little bit this morning on another show, uh, about the inbounds play from last night. I think a lot of people, no matter what would have happened that game, let's say the Sixers came back and won in overtime, they would still be talking about that inbounds play. And I think the perception is, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I saw a lot on Twitter last night, people with the attitude of, you told me that Dave Yeager and Doc Rivers were these great coaches, and these doggone players couldn't do an inbounds play was kind of like the attitude of Sixers Twitter last night. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just funny, too, because I mean, people will bark about how bad Brett Brown's out-of-timeouts plays were, but it was a year ago in Portland that he drew up a play that Furkan Korkmaz hit a game-winning shot, um, and Al Horford set a great screen to get to get Furkan Korkmaz open. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's one play, it's one game. I think there's a lot of blame to go around. Yes, Doc Rivers likely could have drawn up a better play. Steph Curry slipped. Um, Tobias Harris looked like he got tugged by Carmelo Anthony. Maybe he could have done a better job coming to the ball. Uh, maybe Ben Simmons could have found a, a better pass to Danny Green. Uh, it, it's one of those things. It, it's It was a bad play. It was a bad play on a lot of levels. Um, but for me, I, I think all the energy that we're spending on that play, the game wasn't lost on that play. The game was lost throughout the game, really in that third quarter into the fourth quarter stretch where Carmelo Anthony went off and the Sixers bench gave them nothing last night. Um, and the disparity of three-point shots. I mean, they, they Portland hit almost three times as many threes. So, yeah, we can dissect that ATO until we're blue in the face, but to me, the game was not lost there. The game was lost well before that. Yeah, I agree. The way that I see this loss is when Trent Jr. hit that three-pointer and Dame put them up by five, 
Joel Embiid hit the mid-range, Jimmy. Curry hit it for three. That, that's a common theme for this team. The fact that when it's down the stretch, they're executing their scoring. Now, they didn't execute the last play, but they are constantly executing in the fourth. And they've won, let's say, of all these situations, they've won the last five out of six times that that was in play. You're not going to bat a 1,000. So it's unfortunate, but a common theme is late down the stretch, they find ways to win, and sometimes it won't bounce your way. Absolutely, bros. You're nailing it. Um, And, the you know, They've been a great fourth quarter team all year. Uh, coming into the game, I think it was they were eleven and one uh, in games in which it was less than, you know, a five point point difference and under two minutes to go. They were eleven and one in those situations. Now they're eleven and two, um, which is still the best record in the NBA for any team. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are now, but coming into the game last night, they had the best net rating in the NBA in the fourth quarter. Defensive rating was ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, listen, it's one game. Uh, and I think that's the way you got to look at it. They just played a tough game two nights ago against a really good Sacramento team that had been really hot and they won that game in the fourth quarter. Uh, Portland just, you know, they executed better down the stretch. It's one game. I think you got to keep that in perspective for the most part. They've been excellent in the fourth quarter. Um, they did an excellent job on Damian Lillard in the second half, uh, especially Ben Simmons. So, I mean, yeah, I think there are, there are a lot of positives to take away from that game last night. The bottom line is, they didn't execute down the stretch, um, and the bench didn't give them enough. Paul, when you mentioned about the bench, I got to figure out, you know, we saw some good things from Thibel, right? We saw some good things from him in the game, but I felt like outside of Thibel and Howard, like you mentioned, the bench didn't do a lot last night. Now, of course, it helped that Carmelo Anthony had, what, 24 points last night mm-hmm. off Portland's bench, but it does that only emphasize what Broads and I talked about earlier is the fact is, there were problems with the Sixers team before last night's game. And I think that one of those things has to be the bench depth, right? Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, it's funny because the two losses to Portland have shown the value of two players. The first one was that we showed the value of Ben Simmons in a big way. And this one, it shows you the value of Shake Milton. I mean, the Sixers couldn't even run their offense. And Doc Rivers talked about that. They had one assist and three turnovers combined off the bench. They were like seven of 20, I think, from the field combined. I mean, they just couldn't. Tyrese Maxey was in a tough spot. I mean, his his play has been um, his playing time has been sporadic recently. He's a twenty one. He's a twenty year old rookie that you're kind of throwing into that spot. It's not not to make an excuse. It's just the reality of the situation. Um, and Shake Milton had been playing pretty well. Uh, he was excellent in that Sacramento game down the stretch. Um, would have closed it out if he hadn't hurt his his ankle. So yeah, I think it's one. It demonstrates the value of Shake Milton. But then to your greater point, Josh, yes, it demonstrates that I think they need more off the bench. I think. You look at how great Matisse Thibault has been defensively, and then you play him with Dwight Howard. It's just not a good combination offensively. Then you have to play Maxi on top of it, and you know his his outside shot hasn't quite come around like maybe the Sixers would have hoped. So you're having three players on on, on the court that are giving you nothing on the perimeter and really not much offensively in general. Um, so yeah, that that hurts. So I, I think to me, it's still it shows to me the biggest uh, things the Sixers the the things this team needs a stretch backup big and a shot creator. I still think there are two, those two things short. Now I don't think they need to go out and get the best stretch big or the best shot creator, but they need to get, they need to upgrade. And I think those are moves they can make. Those are guys. There are guys that are going to be available guys that may already be available um, that fit that type of description. But I think, yeah, last night's game certainly emphasized the need for those two positions. Yeah, I've questioned Shake's value to this point. And yesterday, show me a little something. I still think you need an upgrade, but just in terms of calming things down, 
he was someone that, you know, you could rely on to do that off the bench to a degree. But you mentioned Ben Simmons, and, and I want one word from you to describe Ben Simmons' play last night because I, I thought that was just magnificent. That's the Ben Simmons that before this season, and I would support him till no other, that's the Ben Simmons I saw last night. Yeah, one word, outstanding. He he was, uh, I mean, he was everywhere last night, both ends of the floor. He's really found something in the post with that little right-handed hook shot. Uh, it just seems like something that he's really comfortable going to. Seems to have better touch with it um, around the rim th than some other shots that he shoots. Uh, so that's been one big thing. He, he certainly saw something with Covington he could exploit, and he did that. I love the aggressiveness getting to the rim, the the ferocity in which he's you know finishing at the rim and, and you know and getting in people's faces and getting a little angry. That I love. That kind of edge I think is only going to help him uh, going forward. Uh, and then you know and, and obviously setting up the offense. We talk about how the bench couldn't get into the offense. He was you know great setting up the offense and had nine assists last night. Would have had more if they had hit a few more threes. Uh, you know one assist away from a triple double. And what I I'm going to say till I'm blue in the face uh, to you guys, one turnover. When he doesn't turn the basketball over, their offense is so much better. Um, and, and last night was a big sign of that because their offense wasn't really the issue, especially with the starting unit. And then defensively, the job he did on Damian Lillard, I mean, my goodness. Uh, Dame didn't hit a three in the second half. He was 0 of 6. And what was – I think he was 2 of 13 from the field in the second half. Ben Simmons told us last night he thinks he – He's the best defender in the NBA, and I, you know, that's brash. But I don't. I'm not sure he's wrong. Uh, he might be the best defender in the NBA. So, um, and then you know, the greater picture when you're looking at the ingredients the Sixers have to be good, you have an MVP candidate, you have a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and you might have three All Stars, and you're a really good defensive and fourth quarter team. That's a lot of good, a lot of good ingredients, and Ben Simmons is a huge part of that. Paul Hudrick joining us here on the Boardwalk Kind of Hotline on 97.3 ESP. You can follow Twitter at Paul Hudrick on Twitter. Check out all of his work at 97.3 ESP. And don't forget his podcast coming in for a landing. Paul, you mentioned about the All-Stars. I talked about it with Kevin McCormick last night on game night. You know, I think that who I think should be an All-Star. But I'm starting to wonder if we're actually going to get all three of those guys as All-Stars because, first of all, I'm watching the voting go down for the fans. I don't know what basketball the fans are watching. The fact that Tobias isn't in the top 10 anymore. The fact that Demonis Sabonis is as low as he is in the voting. And the fact that Embiid isn't far away the number one big man, the front court guy in the voting, tells me there might be a possibility that between the fans, the coaches, and the media, and then the coaches selecting these guys, you may, in reality, have three all-stars but you might only end up with one or two because of how wonky this year is in general. Yeah. I mean, fan voting is always, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's a popularity contest. I mean, really, I, I mean, like you said, Zaza I mean, Pachulia, if, remember if that? what's that? Zaza Pachulia. Remember that? Yeah, exa exactly. Like if uh, Alex Caruso, I think is in the West voting because he's Lakers fans 10, love him. Paul, he's top 10 right now. It's, I mean, that's just, it's, it is, it's all a popularity. That's why Derek Rose is in there. Um, that's why Russell Westbrook is in there. It's just, it's, you know, it's all a popularity contest. If it, if it was just based off of guys playing basketball, obviously Joel Embiid would be leading all front court players. Uh, and honestly, Jokic would probably be leading, you know, <laughs> leading front court players for that matter out West because of the year he's having. So, I mean, that's, you're always going to have to battle that. Uh, Simmons has had the battle at the last two years because of the coaches and the players he's gotten in. Uh, but but the fans haven't really done him any favors the last two seasons, and they're clearly not going to do it for Tobias Harris. So, yeah, 
the reality is, you know, Embiid's most likely a lock, but Simmons and Harris, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. They're going to have to really pick up steam with the players and with the coaches. Uh, ben Simmons, it, it's it's funny because I think Ben Simmons still has a better chance because of reputation around the league. Tobias Harris, you know, he's having a great year, but, you know, obviously his reputation has taken a hit the last couple of years. Who knows? I mean, it, 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 there's still uh, there's still some time here. Maybe maybe the fans can get in and and, re and really give those guys a boost. But yeah, the reality is they might only have one guy. I mean, I think they should at least have two, if not three. Especially when you factor in they are the best team in the Eastern Conference. That should matter. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, the fans are not doing Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris any favors right now. Did you think that Doc Rivers was a little snippy last night in the postgame? I heard his remarks about uh, switching Ben to Mello, and he was like, whoa, I mean, did you see Damian Lillard? And then he was asked about the usage of timeouts, and he mentioned he started off answering with, well, you guys all forget that you wouldn't have the last play if that wasn't the case, you know, because they wanted to challenge that Tobias foul, which I thought was a foul, to be honest with you. But I don't know. Maybe it just shows that that last play was eating him alive a bit. He just seemed snippy. Something was bothering him. He was a little short last night, but I mean, I also get, I mean, in his, to defend him a little bit, I mean, there's no way you were going to take Ben Simmons off Damian Lillard. Why would you do that? I mean, that's quite frankly, if I'm just looking at it, like I, of course, like, why would you do like Damian Lillard is one of the best scorers in the NBA. Some would argue maybe the best scorer in the NBA. Uh, so why would you not have your best defender on him? You have to trust the rest of your team to defend Carmelo, you know, a 36 year old Carmelo Anthony who got hot for a few minutes and, and, you know, get credit to him, but I can live with that. I can live with Carmelo Anthony beating me. Be, like if he's going to hit open shots, great, but I'm not going to let Damian Lillard, you know, who I know is great. I'm going to do everything I can to stop him. And then even, yeah. And then, I, cause I agree with you, bro. It was, it was a foul. I mean, the, to play with Tobias Harris, that was a foul. And if you, if you, use the, the the review at that point, and you don't have that last time out, then you can't even run that last play. Granted, it was a disastrous last play, but you don't even have a chance to run a disastrous play if you if you challenge that play and lose it. So I think it might have – part of it – and, and not, listen, I don't want to take away from my media colleagues. Everyone does a great job, but I think just those questions, I think maybe, you know, he, 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 he really thought that those were – you know, the easy, they were easy answers, basically, I guess you would say. But, yeah, of course, he was frustrated. He lost. So, yeah, a little bit short, perhaps, uh, shorter than normal, I would say, than maybe if they had won the game. So now that they're playing the Suns Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m., folks can hear the game here on 97.3 ESPN. What can they take from the Portland game into the Suns game? Because the Suns, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, some phenomenal athletes. The Suns are no pushover. No, Suns are a very good basketball team. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, the way they defended Lillard, they're going to have to do a lot of the same things um, against Devin Booker. And listen, they still, like you said, they still have Chris Paul, so that they are a little bit more dangerous in that regard. Um, but, you know, I think Danny Green is a guy who I think um, can, can kind of match wits with Chris Paul a little bit, an experienced guy. Uh, you know, so I think they have, it's a pretty decent matchup for the Sixers. I think they can match up against them pretty well, but yeah, they're still great. I mean, Devin Booker, I think is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I think he's outstanding and Chris Paul just keeps doing it. Uh, he, he's unbelievable at his age to still be playing at the level he's playing at. So yeah. And then, you know, former Sixer quote unquote, Mikel Bridges is, is also having a hell of a year and playing really good basketball. So yeah, they, they, they are a, a very good team. They have some very good weapons 
Um, I think Dario Sarge, I just saw, is, is going to be questionable or perhaps out against the Sixers. But, yeah, it, it's going to be a tough matchup. I, I would say that they need to carry their game plan against Damian Lillard. They need to do something similar with Devin Booker because he can hurt them in a lot of the same ways. But it's going to be a tough matchup. And, this listen, this road trip is no joke. You had Sacramento to start off who was red hot. You have, you know, Dame Lillard in Portland. Then you're going to take on a Suns team, and then you have then you have to play Utah, who is the hottest team in the NBA right now. So this is listen. If they come out of this road trip two and two, that's a win because this is a really difficult trip. And um, like I said, it's, it does not get any easier having to go up against uh, Phoenix on Saturday. Paul Hudrick joining us here on the Boardwalk Kind of Hotline on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, Paul, one of your latest articles at 97.3 ESPN.com. UJ Blevins and Kevin McCormick wrote that breakdown of different trade candidates so now that we're a couple days removed from the article that you guys wrote have any of those trade candidates that you guys laid out you guys laid out i believe it was nine names altogether in that piece are there any new names are there any names taking off the list you know because obviously on friday this thing is ever evolving you know the nba season's a, a weird amoeba of stuff going on right now so is there anything different in the trade front for the sixers right now well, a guy we probably should have included that we didn't uh, was uh, Nemanja uh, Bielitsa from the Kings, who, of course, almost signed with the Sixers. Um, he would be an ideal target. Listen, he's out of the Kings rotation right now, but he can shoot the heck out of the ball. He can give you some stretch five minutes, some stretch four minutes. I can't imagine the price would be all that much. So if you can maybe swindle him from the Kings, that would be uh, an interesting pickup. Uh, there are reports that they are interested in him. And then I saw another report from The Athletic that the teams that are open for business are I believe it was the Cavs, the Pistons, and the Thunder. And look, there are guys on those teams that I would have interest in. Maybe not the Cavaliers, but you look at the Pistons. DeLon Wright is a guy who who scorched the Sixers a few weeks ago, who can, you know, creates off the dribble for himself and for others, doesn't turn the ball over, would be an excellent fit off the bench here. Wayne Ellington, uh, a Philly guy who is shooting the lights out right now. Sure, I take him off the bench as another option as a guy who could just, you know, hit threes. Uh, he's hit, I think he's over like 45% this year from three. Uh, and then you, you look at the Thunder. George Hill is a guy I, I, I've had my eye on for the Sixers for a while. Another guy that can just add some stability at that backup point guard spot. Can't imagine, again, it would take a ton to get him. And then our old friend Mike Muscala, another guy who fits that like stretch big role. Sure, uh, I, I would, you know, take a flyer on him as a low, a low cost kind of guy. So, I think those are the names you're already seeing out there. I think there's going to be more names out there as more teams kind of start to fall out of this thing and start to realize, hey, we're probably better off selling than we are competing for a play-in playoff spot. So it, like you said, it, Josh, it's going to be ever-evolving. There's going to be more names coming out. So, And I think Darren Moore is going to take his time because, listen, they're still the number one seed in the East right now. They, you know, They're still playing really good basketball. So He's not going to be in a hurry. We still got over a month until the trade deadlines. So there, there's going to be more stuff evolving, more names added to that list as we go on. Real quick, who makes the trade first, Daryl Morey or Howie Roseman? <laughs> I would imagine Howie Roseman at this point, but you never know what that, that guy out. Well, you know, just wondering, you know, because I know you. Now, you, really quick, for anybody watching on the video feed, so you and McCormick have both have Philly stuff in your background, and you're both <laughs> Sixers guys. So I just want to point that out because I don't know if you've seen McCormick's background, but he's got three Phillies jerseys just casually hanging on the wall in his background. <laughs> and you have a Phillies hat over – you both have it over your – what would be your right shoulders, but it's our left. <laughs> so I don't know if there's like some pat to go going on here, but uh, uh, good for you guys for having some diversity. 
I, hey, man, listen, I cover the Sixers, but I'm a fan of the other teams. That's the way I look at it. Nice. Bros appreciate that. <laughs> of course. I just scream about all four of them, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I do. I scream. Paul Hudrick, follow on Twitter, at Paul Hudrick. Check out all of his work at 973ESP.com. And don't forget the coming in for a landing podcast. As all guests, he appeared on the boardwalk on the hotline. Paul, appreciate the time, man. You got to have a great weekend, guys. Josh Ang, along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, Sports Bash being brought to you by Bernie Robbins Jewelers. The Crazy Cupid Valentine's Day sale is going on right now. The first company-wide half-off sale in 15 years at Bernie Robbins Jewelers. Valentine's Day gifts at 50% off following along with interest rate financing available only at Bernie Robbins Jewelers. Bernie Robbins offers online chance, virtual appointments, and you can schedule in-store appointments. They cater to your individual shopping preferences and comfort levels. Don't miss out on the crazy Cupid Valentine's Day sale going on right now. Don't miss out. You could run out of time for Valentine's Day. That's 50% off company-wide at Bernie Robbins Jewelers. We'll get back to your messages at 609-403-0973 and your comments for you watching on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter here on 97.3 ESPN-FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. I'm Josh Henning, Philly for Mike Hill, along with Broads81 on Twitter. That's right, Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. ESPN. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash TGIF Friday edition. You can see us right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, live at the Matt Black Kia Studios on 97.3 ESPN. We'll be talking with UFC welterweight champion Kamaru Usman coming up at 520 tonight, bros. I can't wait. I can't wait for this event, though. Not going to lie. UFC 258. Of course. Tomorrow night. Yeah, there's actually an amazing DraftKings deal. I'm sure there out is. There, of course. Now, for UFC 258, DraftKings is giving you 100 to 1 odds that either fighter in the title fight will land a punch. 100 to 1 odds. That's insane. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey-only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 609-403-0973 is the text board. Also, we'll get to your comments on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter watching the show. Uh, really quick, a couple people said Stephen A. Smith screaming at Howie for the 30 for 30. Another person says Jack Nicholson from A Few Good Men narrating the 30 for 30. The Stephen A. Smith one, I'm afraid, would get to... Like, if he's his shtick, you know, like the Stephen A., like his personality on first take, I don't know if that's exactly what I'm looking for. That would be funny. Don't get me wrong. That would be highly entertaining from like a comedy standpoint, I feel. But I want real intimidation. I don't think Stephen A would give off that like intimidating vibe. It would be like a blasphemy kind of thing where it's funny, but it's it's not the real intimidation, the rawness that I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm talking about putting a rag on his mouth and pouring water down his throat. Oh, you, mean, mean, you mean you mean waterboarding? Yes. Yeah. We got the uh, Billy dog with the laughing emojis over there on uh, YouTube about that. Yeah, it's a little aggressive. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that it's maybe crossing the line a little bit, but maybe not because this is the downfall that we can't support. So let's put our foot down. You know, let's put our feet down, I guess I should say. Two very different comments here on YouTube. Let's start with Jeff Bone and Pookie over here. He says, do you think we can get a first round pick if we trade Wentz and Ertz? Well, I think it goes back to if Wentz isn't worth a first rounder, 
What is Ertz's value? And I'm not saying it's worth the first rounder. I'm, I'm just saying in general. What is Ertz's value solo? Because I think that matters so we can kind of find a common ground here of what they are worth together. What I is think Ertz separate? No more than a second-round pick. Yeah, I think you'd be lucky to get a second-round pick, knowing that the contract. So if it's a third, if you package those two together, let's say it's two seconds and two-thirds. Is, is that a realistic possibility for those two together? Well, if you combine them, Wentz is, let's say, a high first-round pick and, and Ertz is a high third-round pick, is then is in the two of them together worth a mid-round first-round pick or a late first-round pick? I guess you can do it that way. So instead of the two, but a team might not be willing to do that. I don't know the Dallas Cowboys breakdown of the of the aquatics in front of me when Jimmy Johnson made the Herschel Walker trade, but I'm just kind of guesstimating here. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh... Man, if you told me you got rid of Ertz and Wentz together and got two second-rounders and two-thirds, that'd be pretty damn disappointing. It would be. We also got Frank commenting on the YouTube channel. Says, I would take two twos and a third for Carson. I don't think we can get a one. So take that offer and draft well with it. You might be able to some, I, I think the ceiling, the ceiling, if you look at this, the top of the top that you could maybe squeeze out is a first, but I do think it's, it's going to be hard. It's definitely not going to be easy, especially if the two teams in play already kind of have their offers out there. Uh, and you mentioned Denver maybe being in the mix. I don't think there's that much of a threat to the Bears and the Colts other than themselves. There might be an outside reach, but really, I don't think they see it as there's another threat going to swoop in and outbid either one of those two teams. 609-403-0973 is expert. Also, you can comment on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, while you watch the show at 973. ESPN. Josh Hennig, Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. I just want to scroll up to a comment a little bit earlier that we didn't get to. Um, just got to remember. Oh, here it is. So this comment brought in earlier by Joe Rivera on the YouTube channel. It says how he wants to get rid of Wentz's contract if he can get decent composition, but Goff and Wentz traded in the same offseason. Wow. I think that's what we just underplayed a lot. Like the two top quarterbacks of a draft are both going to be no longer with their original teams within five, six years of their draft. I mean, that's unheard of. It definitely is. And I'm in the, I'm not going to say I'm in the minority with this, but the Jared Goff situation, like, I don't think he's as bad as maybe the Rams made him seem. Now you get Matthew Stafford and you give up picks for it. And also, obviously I think Matthew Stafford's a better quarterback than Jared Goff, but I do think that he a little bit disrespected with how people view him. I do feel like there is this narrative behind him that he stinks. He's, he's only this, he's only that. I mean, going to Detroit, it's a hard place to really succeed in. So I don't know if that's fair, but I do think the conversation that he's not a good quarterback is like he got to the Super Bowl. I don't think that it's just all Sean McVay on why you got to the Super Bowl. So my opinion is that I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I just don't think he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. No, he's not in that top. Like he's tier. not going to win a quarter, uh, win a Super Bowl for you. The part of the problem with Goff is is that he had McVay telling him in his ear what to do most of the time. But isn't that majority of the? I would say ninety percent, eighty five percent of quarterbacks in this league probably need that assistance. I think that'd be a little high. If, if, if it's that high, then that's we got a real problem. What's a fair heads. number, you think? 75? 70. Okay. If we're, if we're including every quarterback in the league. Okay. That's still a good chunk, though. But, but the problem is, is that golf was never evolving to get better, though. Like, he was never 
he never got the training wheels off the bike. You know what I mean? But I who's, think, is that his fault? I don't know. Is is that his fault? Is that Sean McVay's fault? Like when I watched Hard Knocks this year, McVay is literally telling him what to do, and he goes out and executed perfectly. It's like, all right, the guy's a good listener. He's good at executing what you tell him to do. But as soon as the game gets off tracks, he has trouble adjusting. But like you asked, I don't know. Is that the Rams' fault for never taking the training wheels off? Is that golf's fault for maybe never saying take the training wheels off? I don't know. We're going to find out pretty soon with the Lions. I just don't. Yeah, but once again, that's a hard place to really succeed in, especially with this whole new environment there. Oh, come Although on, they're going to bite kneecaps off and do <laughs> Staley's there now. Oh, yeah, of course. How could I forget? <laughs> I, I just... I don't know. I, I would tend to lean more towards it's the organization's fault if you're going to baby him the whole time. But I also don't think that's a big deal. If your head coach is telling you what to do and that brings you to a Super Bowl and they lost to Tom Brady and it was ugly offensively, there's no denying it. But if that's good enough to get you to the Super Bowl, there's something there. There's something to it. You know what I mean, though? It's not an epic fail if you got to tell him what to do, but it gets you to a Super Bowl. You're not that far off. Well, that's why they said we'll take Stafford. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them for Stafford. It is an upgrade. I just also think the narrative behind golf is a little extreme as well. Like he's not good all of a sudden. Oh, it certainly is extreme. I will give you that. He's Hunter Birdie, by the way. I'm Josh Hennig here on 97.3 ESPN. Filling in for Mike.